Good morning. We do this. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's kind of becoming my standard open phrase, Janet Anscombe, isn't it? Yes, it is. And the same from me. Hello, everybody. I hope you're well. And yeah, it's um, it's a busy week, I think. It's a busy know. week. First of all, it's a, it's a beautiful week. It's a lovely Monday. Um, I Living in the Canary Islands, I love spring and autumn. Summer can just get, it doesn't get as hot as it would in parts of the mainland, but I love the days when there is a breeze. And especially if I, because I work in a decade town, it's just away from the intense heat of the coast. And you're even further up the mountains, Ms. Anscombe. Yes, absolutely. I mean, April and November to me are the months where the seasons change round. So you're preparing for winter or you're preparing for summer. And, and those two months to me, they, they have the most varied weather and it's lovely. It is lovely. It's lovely when we're used to wall to wall sunshine or in the mountains in the winter, wall to wall cloud. It is actually <laughs> nice to get, uh, it's nice to get a bit of variety. It is. Well, the first thing that was on our agenda that I thought we needed to tackle or just give people information on was how Spain have dealt with the AstraZeneca I'm not going to use the word crisis because it's not a crisis I think it is rollout and changes and it has become even more relevant for you Janet well yes it has and that is because I'm having a set tomorrow in in fact I, I think what I'd like to deal with is is the assumption in what's what seems to be a general assumption that when policy changes it's because the authorities don't know what they're doing or because they just change their mind or because they make decisions arbitrarily or summarily the fact is that in any situation that's an evolving one particularly when it's a new situation and this is a new virus then obviously the government's good governments are going to be following the science and the science is checking every single minute of every single day what the situation is and how policy needs to react to the situation on the ground and so the AZ rollout has been dealt with differently because as all top scientists say each scientist and each country is going to analyze the situation slightly differently yeah. and so the situation in Spain for AZ was that it was given to one age group and then they decided they weren't going to give it to that age group because the science suggested there was a very, very rare blood clot issue that they continue to investigate. They don't really know why it's happening. It's only happening in some, it tends to be women and younger women. So some think there might be a connection with the pill, the contraceptive pill. And so they're investigating all sorts of um, areas and paths at the moment and Spain in its final decision has said that at the moment they're going to give this vaccine only to people between 60 and 65 okay and once they're fully vaccinated then it'll be the 65 to 69 age group and everybody else will get a different vaccine either Pfizer or Moderna or from the end of this week I understand the answer I'm annoyed because you know I I wanted the AstraZeneca, I, I wanted a vaccine, doesn't everybody, yes. and yes. I won't be 60 until October, so I'm missing out. I was initially in the 55 to 65 age group, and then, you know, the, the rollout of the AstraZeneca has been so quick and rapid here, certainly people I know in the south of, of Tenerife, 
um, had been getting their messages and going for the vaccinations. And I was kind of going, yay. And then last week, yeah. I said, no, no, only over 60s. And I'm thinking, I was born in 20, 1961. So I'm in my 60th year, but apparently, no, I won't be getting no. it. But I'll get something. Well, it, you, you certainly will. And we are in an odd situation, really. It is like they said last week. It, it, it's like, imagine several trains leaving the same station. They're going to go in the same direction. They're leaving the same point. They are, they are transport carrying people somewhere. They're performing the same function. They're just going slightly different speeds. Yeah. So they will each perhaps get to the first station at different times. And that's where we are with the vaccine. The AZ one has been a better rollout. And that's a, that is a product of EU distribution and um, provision. Provision, so, yes, supply, and, you know, and I mean, and perhaps cost, I hope, exactly. you know, exactly. it is yeah, also in the easier situation. to transport because it, it doesn't require such yeah. a low level of refrigeration. Um, That's right. And, That's right. Uh, you know, there's there's two, two sides to every coin, trot out what cliche you want. My sense of this is I have more confidence because every time there's a glitch, they stop and see what's going on. And exactly. that makes me I think more that's a, confident in the scientific community rather than yes. less. I think that's a vital point that should reassure people because the fact that there is a perception that people change, the government's changed their minds or they're not going fast enough or they're stop starting, it's because they are being ultra cautious and yeah. that should give people um, encouragement. And that's a good thing. Of course it is, it's a very, good thing so yeah the AZ it seems that the AZ vaccine is being given in hospitals or in other vaccination centers I myself have been told to go to El Mohan yeah. tomorrow um, whereas the Pfizer Moderna and we presume the Johnson & Johnson stroke Janssen when that comes online later this week they're being done through surgeries local health surgeries so we are still at the moment in the main dealing with only state patients but Very we do have so. news don't, but we do have news don't we well, Theo, about private patients we do because not just you and i janet there uh, there is a group of women that we deal with regularly who also help um non-spanish residents uh, with queries yes. with residencies i mean the wonderful diana mcgowan is one um, yes. who who kind of pretty much look for ways to help people. I'm not saying look for ways to get around the law because that's not what they do or what we do. No. We look for no. ways to make sure that people are benefiting from any laws or yes. legislation. And one of the top queries I know that we have been receiving is how am I going to get a vaccine if I'm not on the public health register? Um, okay. Age in Spain, Deepika, Kakani in Age of Spain has also been hugely active in this area. I don't know, do you, yes. can you outline what we've been doing there, Janet, or what has been done? Yes, ba basically, to try to give an uh, overarching idea of what's going on, Spain is a devolved system, and so health is being managed regionally, but within a national policy. So policy is set in Madrid, and administered regionally. Now, regionally in our terms means the Canary Islands and the Canary Island government. Hmm. That obviously is going to have a job in dealing with someone in Fasnia or someone in Chio. 
So the regional governments then arrange things through their municipalities. So the ayuntamientos start liaising with the health centres, the local surgeries. And what we are trying to do is compile some sort of regional database, if you like, or a list. So the people can see, I'm in, say, a decade municipio. How do I, as a private patient, access the vaccine? Mm -hmm. This is very early stages. But what we are finding is that the, the more local you get, the more random the response seems to be. Yeah. So that we have, we have found that some councils, that without the patient doing anything, it appears San Miguel is just taking people off the padron and informing them that as a private patient, they can just go to the surgery and register. Because they're Others, on the padron. Because they're on the padron. And I think this is one more time we have to stress, get on your local padron because nothing is gonna happen unless you're on the council list. Now it could save your life. Now it really could save your life. I would say therefore that one sticking point I'm anticipating is those councils naming no names who won't put you on the padron unless you are already registered with the police. There will be some people here who are still trying to get registered with the police mm -hmm. and who therefore can't get on some padrons and they're going to have a problem I imagine at some point <clears throat> if they can't. But basically bear with us this is yeah. early stages but there is a group of women as you rightly say involving you and me who are trying to compile a database of how people throughout the canaries not just canary absolutely access access the vaccine if they are private patients and that list is going to be growing on a daily basis as we get more information and i would i mean i mentioned dipika before but um, the Age in Spain organization, which is a, a, a non-profit making organization, is particularly useful for, I mean, it's, a, it's for British citizens who live here, British residents. And I know that they are working day and night to help people, particularly retirees who live here, to get their Brexit paperwork in order. But in doing that, we'll also see that you are on the padron. So the, the bonus plus there is that it could also probably help you get your vaccination. So if you're exactly. listening to this, we're talking about vaccines, but if you are also having issues with your paperwork uh, and you are maybe a pensioner who's living here, I would look for Agent Spain online, look for their, their regional offices here and get in touch with them because they are exceptionally helpful. And just to reassure people that um, Deepika is a wonderful woman. She is very friendly, very helpful, and her, she is fluent in English, so language is never mm. going to be a problem dealing with Deepika. And also, although her organisation is called Age in Spain, they are not just dealing with pensioners, they no. are dealing mm. with people who are younger. So even if you're, say, in your late 40s, early 50s, don't feel you can't contact Deepika, because she will help people in their 50s. You know, you don't have to be an anciano to no, get and any it's free. Help I mean, there will be yes. no charge and for assistance. Free. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So there, I mean, so just bear with us. Um, I know you get a lot of questions into your post bank, Janet, and I get some as well, most yes. going to you and yes. to others about how to how, people are worried, you know, they want to know, will I get vaccinated if I am resident but not registered with the health service? I would yes. say, like there's a couple of things we learn from crises in our lives and pandemics when this is all over or even during this 
now is a good time to make sure you're on the Padron, uh, which is the register of residents in each local borough. Get yourself registered with the local health system. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't mean that you can't continue to use your private health care, but really it's just for your own benefit. In the case of an emergency, for instance, if you needed to call a local ambulance and you have the card that is your health service provider card, it'll take them seconds to get your medical history up online. So there are so many exactly. pluses to being a member, to being registered with the local health service. Yeah. I mean, I have been since I moved here and if I am in awe of it, I think it's wonderful. I think it's really wonderful. Well, likewise, likewise. I, I would also just like to make one particular point at the minute. The, the, the local consulate, the, the foreign office, it's a bit of an official point really, I suppose. Um, the foreign office has obviously embassies and embassies in Madrid and, and regionally we have a consulate. They are, when you think about it, there are a lot of British people who occupy and visit the Canaries at the moment. It's difficult for people to travel maybe, but we have a situation involving British nationals in the Canaries that is complicated by COVID and Brexit. Mm -hmm. The consulate here is overwhelmed with inquiries. People are complaining to me that they don't get answers. Let me just say, the Foreign Office are overwhelmed and they are on record as saying that if you are deprived of or denied any rights that you absolutely have and can demonstrate that you have, they stand ready to help you. Okay. So please understand that if you're trying to get hold of them and you submit an inquiry to them and it isn't backed up with any evidence. They they have to prioritise at the moment. Of course minute, they do. Because they have so many inquiries. And that's a if small, you have small dedicated staff, but small. Exactly. Very small and very dedicated. Mm -hmm. And so if you have all your ducks in a row and you have everything in order and you've been deprived of your rights and you explain that and send them evidence in, a, in an email or something, they will respond yeah. and they will help you. Yeah, so fabulous. Please understand that any lack of response at the minute is because of them being overwhelmed with inquiries caused by a combination of Brexit and COVID. And the fact that they have very few staff here. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one of them jokingly said to me that the, the honorary Irish consulate might well need to up its staff because of the number of people who are talking about, you know, using. Per, Anyone, for instance, who was born in Northern Ireland has the choice to yeah. become, to have become an Irish passport holder. And they're saying that a lot of their people are thinking, okay, I'm going to the Irish consulate. So yes. <laughs> that's just an aside. I mean, if you're if you can ride horses, we'd probably let you in after the wonderful Rachel Blackmore won the Grand National. So <laughs> um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think honestly, talk about a glass ceiling. Didn't she break the grass ceiling? The grass ceiling, that I was love it. That I love it. was a wonderful ride. But she was also Jockey of the Year at Aintree recently. So, I mean, it, it, she has been an up and coming jockey for so long. I am not going to pretend I am jumping on the bandwagon. Let me be blatantly honest about this because I do know very little about horse racing. But I do know it's one of those sports that doesn't um, have male and female races or male and female categories. That's You're a right. jockey. Right. you're a jockey yeah. and yeah. i think the first woman to race in the grand national was back in the 70s but uh and rachel she came 10th the last time she rode in the race but she yeah. won but yeah. by four lengths i mean and she won a rode a beautiful race and she won the, the gold cup as well recently as well 
in Cheltenham. I'm sorry, she was jockey of the of the season at Cheltenham, and she won the Cheltenham yes. Gold Cup as well. She won six races in Cheltenham, um, and when she's one of the things she said when she was interviewed was. Uh, you know, I don't think of myself as a, a, a man or a woman. I'm a jockey. Yes, um, that was a lovely quote. She's, she's that great. That was a brilliant great. quote. But also, said, I don't feel like a man. I don't feel like a man or a woman. I just feel incredible. I don't even feel human. I just feel incredible. Right. She said, I don't know what I feel like. <laughs> and of course, like 10 out of the 11 uh, top horses were Irish trained. So that's a good thing. And the Irish woman beat Wales in the rugby, 45-0. I know. I've had a a couple of really good weeks, actually, in terms of sport, given my Welsh and Irish um, history, because Wales, okay, we didn't manage quite to get the Grand Slam, but we did win the championship. You won the championship. Ireland did really well in the championship as well. They picked themselves up after a bad start. Absolutely. And now a female jockey and an Irish woman. Yeah, winning yeah. the grand ball races. I mean, that's that's the big daddy of them all, isn't it? I it mean, is, it is. I'm, I'm I'm a bit ambivalent about it. I have to admit, I I, I grew up among horses, but I I don't particularly care for the Grand National as a race. I I think it's been a bit. Well, it's been to some extent it's been neutered because they've made it so much safer, and yet horses still die. So I think for all sorts of reasons, I'm not the best fan of the Grand National, but I loved seeing that ride of hers it was fantastic it was and I just loved the fact that it wasn't a fluke and it wasn't an outsider she has worked for years to become and I mean she probably is at the moment like she's being called by the media all over the world one of the world's leading jockeys now you know and not the world's leading female jockey just one of the top jockeys she she's done the sport and women yeah. an enormous service because she has proven I think that you're right she is not an exception she is exceptional but she's not an exception exactly. she is what happens when women are just not treated as second-class citizens or inferior somehow yeah. in a sport where as you say male and female participants aren't segregated by sex no no, no. they work and run and their lives so together that's I, rude doesn't watch that on there are you know there are some races some nationals that i could just watch on on a loop basically and <laughs> one of them is Aldeniti, the bob champion Aldeniti year okay. i mean that was that was a fairy tale and there was you red know? rum red rum was well, something very special actually my red my red rum story is 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 a funny one well i think it's funny anyway i was a little bit too young to put a bet on legally so my mum did it for me on the one <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on the one year that Red Rum did not win, because if you remember, Red Rum won one year and the second year, then he won, he, he came second, I think, the third year, and then he won again, again in the fourth. And on the third year, Lescargo won. That's right. And Lescargo had, this, on the year Red Rum came first, the first time, Lescargo came third. Red Rum's second victory, Lescargo came second. So I said to my mother, Les is going to win this race this year. And I was too young to put a bet on. So she put, I think it was a fiver to win on Les on the one year that, that I, I was an oracle. I was an oracle. <laughs> you were consulted <laughs> from far and wide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, well, horse racing has always had a special part in, in Irish culture, even. I mean, I'm no big horse racing fan, like I told you. I've been... 
I've been to the races a couple of times. And I mean, the Shergar story is another big part of Irish history as well. But I mean, you just listen to us though. Horse racing and Eurovision. And rugby. <laughs> and rugby. And rugby. <laughs> the two mad old oh biddies. <laughs> <laughs> and people wonder why we're friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. And my daughter says to me, now I know why you're single, ma. And I'm thinking, I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she knows she, that it's actually, she means it probably as a compliment. <laughs> I think she does. I think, I think she would she hate does. to have a mother that she would class as normal, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right, back, well, we can get back to the Eurovision in a minute because I, I would like to play us out on a special song and anyone who knows me will know what it is, but let's leave that for a minute. Yes. Um, listen, we, as has started to happen, we got a message again this week, Janet, which I sent to you from Julie. And in fact, it's a really interesting question and it made us do a little bit of work. Um, so will we play the message and then we'll we'll answer it. Yes, good okay. idea. Let's have a quick listen. It's just have a listen, everybody. Good morning, Cleo and Janet. I just want to say that I love the show and I never miss it. As you know, many of your listeners own properties in Tenerife and due to the pandemic have been unable to visit. We've not been able to hold our annual general meeting and have been told by our administrator that a virtual AGM is not lawful, yet some communities have held theirs virtually. Please could you clarify this for us? Is a virtual AGM legal? Many thanks. Keep safe. Julie Collins. Now, just to put it into context, people who don't live in a comunidad or have just arrived to Spain, if you live in an apartment block or a building, it is run by your local comunidad, which is regulated by national law. How the comunidad operates is very strict and must work in accordance with the law. So it's not that norm, under normal circumstances, they can't just have meetings whenever they like or elect as many people to a committee as they like. As I say, it's very much regulated by law. And one of the law laws stipulates normally that there must be an annual general meeting. So it's a very good question. Um, now, I got in touch with Hestria, with Monique Campen in Hestria, because they happen to be the people who are my complex administrators. And I think you also contacted people about this and we've received the same answer, haven't we? Exactly. That's right. Yes. And the answer is no. Basically. The answer is no, because um, meetings must be done in, in person. Do you want to read out what Monique said? Well, OK, I'll read the beginning. Right. She says, attached to will find a part of the BOC. Now, the BOC is the official bulletin that is published by governments with uh, wherein they state what current law or practice must be. And this is That's right. It's the French National Gazette, basically. Exactly, exactly. But it, this is directly from government, regional or yeah. if it's a BOE, yeah. it's Spanish. So this is Canarian. Yeah. The information of how you can hold community meetings starts at page 63. So I'm going to read it in Spanish, the, the, the uh, clause that's important. It says, se, se celebrarán exclusivamente aquel, aquellas reuniones que resulten obligatorias con arreglo a la legislación vigente o inaplazables por la urgencia de los asuntos a tratar. In other words, 
and they explain it too. There has to be an urgent matter. For example, they say, we have celebrated a meeting in a community because the president sold his apartment and there was no vice president elected. A community of, owner, of owners needs to have a president and legally cannot be without one. So in case an owner challenged the minutes because a meeting was held during the pandemic, the community can refute that argument perfectly. So basically, under current legislation, because of the pandemic, a community can only hold a meeting if it is absolutely urgent um, and it, has, it is challenging or it is within uh, or dealing with a law in vigour. So if there is nothing urgent to be dealt with, it is actually not possible to have a community meeting. And they even say to me at the bottom, Communities cannot legally use Zoom or equivalent programs as these programs are not able to record the bylaw obligated information. So that information that needs to be recorded by law as described here above, people present or represented, votes, etc. Because as is also very, very much controlled by law are the people who vote, the quorum of a meeting, um, you, if you can only vote if you have paid your rates, it is so, so strictly controlled that something like Zoom or Microsoft Teams that can't be controlled 100% by the president cannot therefore be legally used to hold a community meeting. I, I, I think people often are unaware because it is such a not British thing. And there are obviously so many of our inquiries are British. I suppose the only ones in the UK who would have an idea of what it's like are those people who own flats in a leasehold building where there's a management company. And of in course. fact, the words management company are used often in, in inquiries that I get. And a community of a community of owners, a community of proprietarios, is a particular Spanish concept and is a legal requirement, as you said, and it must be by law there must be a president of the community and there must be an administrator and so seriously is the position of administration taken in terms of communities that although an owner can an unqualified owner can do it if it's not a personal owner of a property a professional administrator must be used it must be someone with qualifications yes. like an accountant except they are professionally qualified to be administrators of communities of owners. Because it's and complex. Exactly. Complex is, and, is fun, uh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's very complex. <laughs> the, the, your community um, uh, administrators that you were quoting, Monique and Rene, I, I've known the Campans for, well, since 2005, I, I think now, when they first came over here. And I think they're now, they have their offices in Palmar, um, down in one of the, what they call the mud huts, one of the lovely Menseis, um complexes. And they are brilliant administrators and they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And yes, they came they down, they're Dutch, I think, they're Dutch by nationality. But when they came here, they'd already been working as administrators on the Spanish mainland. Mm. They know the law inside out. And what Monique says about Zoom is exactly what I've heard from other professional administrators as well that it cannot be done there are legal requirements that have to be fulfilled that can only be done the word they use is presencially in person in person they can't do that on, on um no. online no and of course the apps that allow meetings online apps like zoom have 
some security issues as well for data protection. Very much so. so. It is impossible. Um, so at least we have managed, thanks to Julie's question, to establish what the actual rules are. Exactly. Sure. So thank you, Julie. I mean, I was thinking, so well, would that mean that if there is, say, a comunidad in a non-touristy area where there aren't a lot of foreign visitors, if you have a complex where everybody is owner, all the apartments are owner occupied, um, and therefore there's no question about owners being abroad and not available to travel for the meeting. But in fact, no, because under the law, the law is very clearly saying that at the moment, because of the pandemic, meetings are only to be held if it is absolutely urgent. So thank you, Julie, for that question. That other question, it helps us because it gives us a direction. If people do have questions that they would like us to at least attempt to answer, and we hope that the answer was relevant. Um, finally, really, I mean, we've talked about vaccines. We've talked about decisions. Uh, we just haven't talked about the Eurovision. <laughs> do you know that today they are starting to construct the stage? Oh, it's, it's going so... to take them a month. It's going to take them a month and they have started doing the stage and they've got the green room to do and the press room and then they've got to test all the electronics and they've got to put all the lighting up in in the ceiling of the um i think it's the ahoy ahoy center in rotterdam and they've started those works today and i was watching a video earlier of the one of the foremen of the works and he was over the moon because he said so many of the people these my sister used to do a job where she was in charge of organizing lighting for public events in the UK okay. for conferences and concerts and you name it, big, you know, big events. And the amount of work that goes into this is quite amazing, but the contractors often are freelancers and they have a particular skill and, and they're called in for projects. And this guy was saying that the people who are working, you can, the place is buzzing because these people, some of them, they haven't worked, they haven't earned a penny for about six months. And sure. suddenly they've got a month's work in Rotterdam given to them by the Eurovision Song Contest. It's, it's, it's wonderful. The European Broadcasting that. Union, which is fabulous. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, nobody could fail to know that you and I are publicly admitted, <laughs> openly Eurovision nutters. <laughs> You know, I think I'll be by it on Facebook and we kind of go, you know, we can take it, bring it on. We don't care. No, we don't care. I don't no, care. I'm which gonna... is why I did ask, I texted you, Janet, during the week to say, could I could I play out in a special song? Because uh Shay Healy was he wasn't a, a you know one of my close friends. He was someone I knew and was a friend of and really liked. Uh, I, he was a fantastic guy and he wrote What's Another Year, which was, I think, the first time Ireland won the Eurovision since Dana. Now, Dana was like our heroine for years and years and years because she yes. won with all kinds oh, of everything. Yes. And then Johnny Logan yes. won and it sparked a kind of a, a domino effect almost in terms of Irish Eurovision winners. But he sang What's Another Year, which Shay wrote about his dad getting over his wife's death. So it was a very personal song. Um, and Shay died at the weekend, 78. He had Parkinson's disease and his lovely wife, Dimpna, passed maybe 10 years ago. I'm not sure. Um, but I would like, if it's OK with everybody, to to finish today's programme with just a little bit of that. For me, I, I still think it's up there. It's one of the top three Eurovision Song Contest winners of all times alongside, I don't know, Waterloo. And I don't know what else would be up there. Fairy tale. 
very it's exactly what I was thinking of see this is why we get on Jenny <laughs> I I think what's another year is one of the loveliest songs that's ever been in Eurovision never mind winning um and in fact it's how timely is it I mean here we are a year on since Covid started I mean it really does feel like what's another year True. you know we, we make true. our lives we make what we can of our lives and in fact last year's Eurovision Song Contest was very very different very moving because they had hardly no notice that they had to cancel they had to construct a, a unique show an event from a yeah, standing start yeah. in a month and they did one of the most moving beautiful shows I think oh. I've ever seen they had they had a Eurovision orchestra playing classical music by Zoom based all over Europe. It, it was a stunning show last year. And one thing they had was Neil Logan himself singing What's Another Year last year. And here we are, one year more, playing What's Another Year. Well, what is another year? So thank you to Shay Healy. Thank you, Johnny Logan. Uh, he was beautiful in his tributes to Shay on, on RTE National Radio over the weekend. And um, thank you to, to everyone for listening to us. I hope you stayed with us to the end. And I hope you don't mind that we would like to finish today's Canary Cast on What's Another Year. And we'll see you next week. We will see you next week. Thank you for indulging our Irishness. <laughs> and send us more messages because we will try to yeah, answer them. any questions. Yeah. Bye, I hope very mixed bag today. I've hoped you enjoyed it. Uh, and let's let's say goodbye, Janet. Yeah, till till next week. What's another week? What's another week? Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye bye. It's the only way
for someone who's getting used to being alone. I've been crying such a long time with such a lot of pain in every tear. What's another year? What's another year? 